0: Chapter 3 of Basil, or Honesty and Industry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Harder. Basil, or Honesty and Industry, by C. G. O'Brien. CHAPTER 3 A Pleasant Evening. The sun was sinking amid golden clouds, which gave promise of a glorious morrow, when Donald McNichol told Basil that his day's work was finished, and that he might have some supper and then see about going home. Again the fire was kindled, and the bowls of smoking porridge distributed. And then it was that Donald fulfilled his promise of having another chat with Basil. The two men had finished their suppers and gone back to the farm but Donald lingered behind whilst Basil ate his porridge. "'I'll give you pence, lad, for your day's work,' said he, "'and any time you like to come and lend a hand here, "'I'll do the same for you, "'and you can take your meals with us as you have done to-day.' "'Thank you very much, sir, "'but would you mind giving me some of those small boughs "'of which the bark has been stripped? "'I'd rather have them than money. "'Indeed I would,' said Basil earnestly. "'You're a strange lad,' said Donald. "'Why, of what use will the wood be to you?' mother has not at home, sir, and she told me this morning to be sure and—and—' And here Basil stopped, confused, for he saw the woodman's keen eye fixed gravely upon him. "'I hope you're not one of those people who've been robbing these woods lately and destroying these fences, lad,' said he in a stern voice. And then, remarking the great distress depicted on Basil's countenance, he added, in a somewhat softer voice, "'It's early days, laddie, to become a thief and I cannot think your heart is quite hardened. Oh, pray to God to enable you to repent and to lead an honest life for the future. I have a young son of your age at home, and dearly as I love him, I'd rather never see him again on earth than that he should commit such a great sin. Donald paused and brushed away the tears from his eyes, and Basil began to speak, at first hesitatingly and timidly, but gathering courage and confidence as he went on. "'I have been a very bad boy, sir, and I know it. But, indeed, I have never broken down any fences, and I have never been in the woods to gather sticks since I knew the farm was sold. "'But how about to-day, lad? Be careful. Add not falsehood to dishonesty. "'Father told me this morning, early, I was to go out and get some wood, or he'd make me remember it, and I left home not daring to disobey him by staying in.' but i made up my mind i wouldn't steal any and i prayed to god in the field yonder to make me honest and very soon after i had prayed i heard the sound of your axe and i came up as you know sir just as the big bough was falling and when you asked me if i was willing to do some work i felt as if god had answered my prayer and sent you to help me and this is the real truth indeed sir only i don't think i should have prayed to god to-day if it hadn't been for squire hamilton's advice he was with mr stuart yesterday and I held their horses for them, and Squire Hamilton told me to pray to God to make me honest and industrious, and that was the way to get on in the world. "'He was right, Basil,' said the woodman, who was moved by the boy's simple story. "'He was right so far that dishonesty and idleness never did and never can prosper, for they go right against God's commandments. But you mustn't try to act honestly merely for the sake of getting on in the world.' God looks at the motive of all our actions, and though man cannot see into the heart of man, God can read our inmost thoughts, and if it be a purely worldly motive that makes us live honestly, it will be utterly worthless in the sight of God. Nay, more, it will be in itself a great sin. And again, if you seek by living honestly and industriously to find favour with God, you are equally in the wrong. No man ever was or can be saved by his own merit, how great soever he may think it. It is not your tears, your prayers, your confessions, your duties—nothing, in fact, that you can do will make God forgive and accept you. It is the blood of Christ that is the ground of his forgiveness—the righteousness of Christ that justifies. All your works, until you believe in Jesus Christ, are dead works, and dead works never yet took a soul to heaven. It is a dangerous thing, too, Basil Lad, to think too much about gaining earthly riches and honor. In many cases when they are obtained they prove great snares to those who possess them what does our blessed saviour himself say seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you and we shall then be in a frame of mind which will enable us to set a right value on earthly riches and the first importance of laying up for ourselves lasting treasure in heaven i believe you have told me the truth basil And you may have as much of the wood as you can carry, and may God in his infinite mercy keep you out of temptation for the future." As he spoke he laid his hand kindly on Basil's head, and the boy, falling on his knees at the woodman's feet, sobbed aloud. "'You are so very kind, so very kind,' said he, in a broken voice. "'Nay, laddie, haven't I bairns of my own, as I said before?' And wouldn't I thank any one who would be after giving them a little advice in the hour of temptation?" All Basil's reserve melted away under the genial influence of Donald's kindness, and he told him all his childish griefs and troubles—and about his little sister Annie, who was a cripple, and who could never run and play about like the other children. "'Was it wrong to wish to be rich for Annie's sake?' said Basil. "'You don't know how weak and ill she is sometimes, and very often we have scarcely enough to eat, and I often think, if I could only be a rich man, what nice things I would get for her, and how she should have a little carriage to ride in, and—'Oh, sir, was all this wrong?' cried the boy earnestly. No, no, Basil, God forbid that I should say so. God himself has sent us those family ties to call out our affections, and to prevent us from becoming selfish by thinking only of ourselves.' and so long as we do not love our earthly friends more than our heavenly one we are fulfilling his will by showing them affection and kindness it was not wrong in you to wish to provide comforts for your poor little sister thank you for saying so said basil i do love her very very dearly and she loves me also she has no one but me to do anything for her for mother has the baby to look after and in the spring I used to carry Annie in my arms to some fields near us, where she could sit on the grass and gather primroses, and she was so happy, and so was I, to see her so. How old is your little sister? She was seven years old last birthday. Mother took her a month ago to stay with our aunt, who lives at the seaside, in the hopes that the sea, air, and bathing might do her good. Mother is going to-morrow to fetch her home again so I shall not be able to come to work any more this week, for Mother will be gone two days, and I must stay and take care of Baby. Giles, the carrier, has offered Mother a seat in his cart. He goes to West Bay one day, and comes back the next. Well, come when you can. I shall always be glad to see you. I am glad you make yourself useful at home. Take your wood and be off now, for it is getting late, and here is the fourpence as well. It may buy a trifle for your sick sister." Donald himself helped Basil to make up his bundle of wood, and gave him a good thick piece of cord to tie it together with. It was quite a large bundle. "'Are you sure you can carry it all?' asked the woodman. "'Never fear,' said Basil, with a happy smile. "'Good evening, and God bless you, lad. Don't forget what I have been saying to you.' And so Donald and Basil parted, the one taking the way to the farm, and the other toward his father's cottage." They had scarcely parted company more than a minute, when Basil heard his friend calling after him. "'Hello there, lad. One word more. Do you go to Sunday school?' "'Sometimes, but not always,' answered Basil. "'But I mean to go next Sunday.' "'That's right, lad, and try and be regular in the future.' "'I hope to do so. Good night, sir, and thank you.' And Basil proceeded homeward. His was a heavy load, but when the heart is light, it is wonderful, but the body can support.' Basil tripped along scarcely, conscious of his burden. When he came within sight of his home he saw several of his little brothers playing in the bit of ground in front of the cottage. One of them caught sight of him and uttered a loud shout. "'Here's our Basil, coming with a great stack of wood at his back,' cried Willie, a ragged, dirty little urchin of six years old. "'Hurrah! Hurrah! Now we shall have a good fire!' The other little ones began to shout also, and ran toward the cottage, so that by the time Basil reached the spot, his mother had come to the door to see what all the noise was about. "'Well, Basil, you have got a load. I hope none of the farm-people saw you coming along. It was rather venturesome of you to bring such a bundle by daylight. You might have brought it home by degrees.' Basil sat down the stack at the cottage door and stopped to take a breath. "'It is our own—our very own mother. It was given to me every bit, and I have gotten four pence besides,' cried he, rattling the pence in his pocket. I prayed to God to keep me from stealing, and he sent a kind friend to help me. And in a few words Basil told his mother all the adventures of the day. "'You are a lucky boy, Basil, and I can't say but what I am glad you didn't steal the wood. I was quite uneasy about you all day long, when I found you didn't return, for fear you should have gotten into some scrape. And it would have been our fault and not yours if you had, for you went sadly against your will this morning. I made up my mind I'd never ask you to steal again if you came home safe.' and just after that Jim Price brought me your message. He hadn't been able to come before. Dear Mother, said Basil, Dear Mother, and will you keep your promise and never ask me to go to the wood again without permission? I won't go back for my word, said his mother. God bless you, Mother, for saying so, and I somehow feel as if brighter days would come soon. I am almost sure I shall get regular work in the woods, and if Father would only— this moment his father's step was heard coming up to the door. "'What do you leave all that wood against the door for?' he said angrily, as he entered the cottage. "'Do you want all the neighborhood to see it?' "'It's our own. It's not stolen, father,' said Basil. "'What does the boy mean?' Then the whole story had to be repeated over again, and Jacob Green—that was the name of Basil's father—was evidently a little moved by it. For once he had come home sober— He had been working at some copses quite in another direction to the village alehouse, and had come home straight from his work. We will not undertake to say that he had not intended visiting the half-moon at a late hour in the evening, but God had ordered it otherwise. "'I'm glad it so happened, Basil,' he said. "'You'll stand a good chance of being hired up at the farm next week. They tell me Mr. Stewart is going to engage a number of the village boys. I'm glad you didn't steal the wood.' Jacob Green forgot that if Basil had followed his orders he would have done so. I don't want my children to grow up thieves no more than other people, but when a man's so poor what can he do? A bad excuse, Jacob Green, far worse than none at all. Here, wife, cried he, throwing her half a crown, you'll be wanting a trifle for your journey to-morrow. Whether Jacob thought by this act of generosity to atone for his conduct to Basil that morning I know not his wife felt the tears coming into her eyes at this unwonted kindness thank you jacob i shall indeed be glad of it and father i'm so glad you're come home early said basil i've got my pocket full of sweet chestnuts and there is some of the wood in the stack quite dry so we can have a fire and roast them they're just good i can tell you when roasted and eaten with a little salt jacob could not for shame leave his cottage again that evening basil went to the shop and brought in a loaf And a quarter of a pound of dripping. A good fire was made of the dry wood and some furs that Jacob had brought home, and the chestnuts were certainly excellent when roasted in the hot wood ashes. It had been many a long day since Jacob had spent such an evening with his family. He was fond of his children, too, when he was sober. And as that happened to be the case at present, he danced the little ones on his knees, played with a baby, and made Basil tell over and over again about his seeing the little brown squirrel eating nuts and how through that incident he came to look on the ground and find the nice sweet chestnuts. Poor Mrs. Green felt happier than she had for years, and Basil could not help contrasting, in his own mind, the different feelings they would all have experienced had the wood been really stolen. It was the fact, of its having been got honestly, that made all their hearts so light. There was no other difference in their outward circumstances. Basil might have stolen as much wood as he had had given him— but how different would have been all their feelings! As it was, Basil felt that inward peace and gratitude for having been saved from a great sin, and his father and mother experienced a relief which they would perhaps scarcely have acknowledged to think that Basil had not obeyed their orders. For certain it is that however successful dishonesty may appear to be, however it may deceive mankind, there can be no inward peace or happiness, whatever the outward prosperity may be. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. "'You're likely to have a next-door neighbour soon, wife,' said Jacob. "'The old cottage hard by is to be done up and re-thatched, and one of Mr. Stewart's men is going to live there. He is a married man, they tell me, and has several children.' "'Oh, father, suppose it should be Mr. McNichol! How glad I should be!' "'Is that the name of your new friend, Basil?' "'Yes, father, and he told me he had a son just my own age.' "'It's just as likely to be him as not,' said Jacob. "'But I didn't hear his name. "'Have you told Giles you're going by him in the morning, wife?' "'Yes, he has promised to wait for me by the mill-pond. "'Poor little Annie. "'I hope the change will have done her good.' "'You'll be home again on Saturday?' "'Oh, yes, for certain should all be well. "'The carrier's cart will pass the hazel copse. "'Jacob, and it will be just about the time of your leaving work.' If you didn't mind, added his wife timidly, you might look out for us and ride home in the cart. Jacob seemed half to guess his wife's meaning. Saturday night was the great drinking night of the week at the half-moon, and Mrs. Green thought if she could only get him to ride home with her and his child he might be induced to stay at home as he had done this evening. We'll see, wife, we'll see, said Jacob good-naturedly. End of chapter 3